With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Hey, everyone, and welcome back to the BT Powerhouse podcast. My name is Thomas Bendit. It is Sunday evening, March 18th of the year 2018, and it is... I guess I don't even know if this this day has a name, but Ronda 32 Sunday, I guess, uh, the conclusion of the opening weekend of the NCAA tournament. And we are back to chat about what happened, about the two Big Ten teams that advanced. And if we have time, we might hit on a little of the NIT stuff. But to help me chat about it, we have Justin uh, from our site. Justin, how's it going? Uh, I'll be honest with you, Thomas. I have had better days. (laughs) (laughs) Fair enough. Fair enough. And uh, for some background, uh, Justin was on our last podcast. Um, he's a Michigan State guy. He was actually covering um, the Michigan State-Syracuse game in Detroit um, earlier today. Obviously a disappointing result for the Spartans. Um, before we, uh, we jump into uh, what happened and what to kind of look ahead to next weekend, um, obviously there were two Big Ten teams playing in Detroit this weekend, uh, Michigan State being the first and then Purdue. Uh, what was the atmosphere like? Uh, is this your first time covering a, I, I thought it was, a first time covering an NCAA tournament? Um, what, any thoughts about just the event in general and uh, I guess the Pizza Palace? Uh, the, I thought the atmosphere was great, uh, especially uh, today. Uh, in the first game, you had the battle of the two uh, Indiana teams with Butler and uh, Purdue, and you had a bunch of Hoosiers down there, and they filled up the stadium pretty well. And then uh, you got, of course, you had the big crowds for when Michigan State was there, uh, and the atmosphere was, even with a loss, pretty loud and exciting. And then even, even the, the schools that were more farther away with uh, Syracuse and, and Arkansas TCU, Cal State Fullerton, they, they brought a, a good size of a contingent of fans there as well. So each school was represented pretty well, and it uh, provided a pretty good atmosphere. Awesome. Yeah, well, it, it looks great. Um all the games, you know, I, I didn't make it out for the full weekend, but it, it definitely looks great on TV uh, with the new arena there in Detroit. Um, but let's let's first start with uh, the two teams that did not make it through this weekend. You know, I want to spend some time talking about uh, Michigan and Purdue later and what maybe to look ahead to next weekend. But let's start with the two teams who didn't make it through. Um, let's first start with Ohio State. Uh, the Buckeyes open things up with South Dakota State on Thursday. Uh, they avoid that 5-12 dreaded upset. They they gut it out. Um, it's a it's a very intense game. Um, Dom for uh, South Dakota State was awesome all day. 27 points he finished with, lit it up from long range. But that's not enough. Ohio State pulls it out thanks to Cam Williams going off in the last couple of minutes. Unfortunately, Ohio State, they get to Saturday night. They're ahead of Gonzaga with... I want to say less than 10 minutes, uh, you know, five, six minutes left. I believe they're still ahead. Um, and then Gonzaga goes on a little run. Um, the Bulldogs end up pulling it out. Um, what are your thoughts on Ohio State this weekend? You know, preseason expectations weren't all that great for the Buckeyes, but they do get to the round of 32. 
Well, uh, first of all, with the, with the game against Gonzaga, for, for them to be leading that lane in the game with how they started, they were down 13-0 pretty early. That's pretty impressive to, to come back from, especially in Boise where I'm sure there were tons of Gonzaga fans there. And uh, expectation-wise, uh, they exceeded expectation-wise expectations. And even in the tournament, they weren't uh, – most people were picking South Dakota State to, to make that upset <laughs> against Ohio State. So, so they exceeded uh, you know, people who were, who were picking experts, and they exceeded preseason uh, expectations as, as well. And they just ran – at the end of that Gonzaga game, they just ran into a, a hot team at the end uh, – that Rui Hachimura kid, he's a special talent. He's going to be a good one for the next couple of years uh, for Gonzaga. Absolutely, yeah. I, I think Gonzaga's playing some great basketball. I know they had the scare in the opening round, but they're still they're eighth on Ken Palm overall. They've won 32 games, and I know they play in a relatively weak league overall. But, you know, Gonzaga is a great team. You know, they have a lot of depth. They got experience. Um, you know, they are uh, – I mean – they got some young players as well, so I guess they're not crazy experienced, but they have a backcourt with, you know, two upperclassmen, Jonathan Williams, you know, a senior guy up front. So Gonzaga's a tough team um, to play against, and you mentioned the game in Boise. It's hard to feel uh, to be too reasonably upset with Ohio State losing that game when, you know, as you mentioned, South Dakota State was a tough team in the opening round. That was a very popular upset pick. I picked it as an upset. Uh, I'll be up front. And Ohio State got through that one. They fall short to Gonzaga in what was basically a road game. And, you know, I thought this was a great first season for uh, Holtman. You know, obviously fans would have hoped that they could have found their way into the Sweet 16, but, you know, can't always happen that way. And I thought overall it was a great first season for him. We'll see what happens with Bates Diop. I assume he's going to go pro, but there's a nice base here for Holtman to build with going forward. Um, there'll be some new pieces next year, but great, great first start. Um, so yeah, that's, that's Ohio state. Um, the other team from the big 10 that didn't make it through this weekend, as we touched on briefly was Michigan state. You know, they get through Bucknell on Friday night in a game that maybe was a little bit closer than Spartan fans would have liked for the early portions. Um, and then they face Syracuse, a team who, uh, got into the first four they beat TC or uh, excuse me they beat Arizona State in the first four and then they beat TCU and then they pull off the upset on Sunday afternoon and knock off Michigan State in Detroit which by all accounts was basically a home game for the Spartans so a pretty big upset there um any thoughts and reaction well I guess what what are your big thoughts and reactions here uh, about the Spartans going down all right this is I have I have a lot of thoughts and reactions uh <laughs> clearly um I'm going to start with the negatives because there were definitely negatives, but there were also positives to take out of this weekend, and I'll go through that as well. Uh, Negative-wise, players and coaches they both are, are to blame for why this upset occurred. And I, men, mentioning shooting is, is the obvious point. They Spartans uh, shot 26% which was from the field, which was a season low, scored 53 uh, points season low. So I'm not I'm not going to dive too much into that because that's the obvious thing. But the way that Cassius Winston in particular and uh, in Michigan State attacked Syracuse zone was very interesting to me because they settled a lot on the outside for, for the three point shot when when Winston had opportunities to to drive into the gaps of the zone. They uh, Ben Carter and Jaron Jackson 
each passed up multiple chances to hit a mid-range jump shot when getting the ball in the middle. And the Spartans, they did not attack uh, the forwards of, of Syracuse when they were in foul trouble. Uh, Don, uh, Donazai, I think his name is, and then Chupu and uh, Sadane, I believe their names are. I don't have the roster in front of me, but uh, yep. all three of them had four fouls at one point. And the Spartans just continued to, to shoot three-pointers that were not going in. And that, that partially is blamed on the players, but it's also blamed on, on, on uh, Tom Izzo as well for not stressing that point to, to try – to get the ball inside. And also for, for Tom Izzo, uh, I'm not an NBA coach, so I, I'm not one to make these kinds of decisions. <laughs> and this is probably more of a, a fan, a fan uh, comment than a, a journalist comment, but sure. for to have, to have a lottery pick in a talent like Jaron Jackson to, to sit the final stretch and only play 15 minutes in that game for Ben Carter, who I believe, have less than 30 minutes of game action in the final month of the season is uh, it's pretty uh, puzzling to me, if, if you would agree with that. Yeah, I agree totally with that thought. I think it's absolutely mind-boggling how much uh, Jackson was on the bench, not only in this game, but the entire season. I mean, Jaron Jackson, who is – he might be the most talented guy in the Big Ten, not, not just Michigan State. And – you know, for those listening who are getting a little annoyed by this statement, please, there's a distinction between best and most talented. Um, he wasn't the best player in the Big Ten this season, but I think from a pure talent perspective, I think he was probably the most talented guy in the Big Ten this entire season. And over the course, you know, I'm looking at the number on Ken Palm right now. He played 54% of the team minutes. And I understand big men are naturally going to play fewer minutes, but that's ridiculous. Uh, in, in my mind, um, that's just ridiculous. And for him in a game like this, a do or die situation for him to play 15 minutes, is just insane. Um, and I understand, you know, he's not a perfect player. He's a freshman. He only scored two points, um, excuse me, this afternoon, but I think he needed to be on the floor more than he was. And I, I think the other thing is, is, uh, I agree. I, I thought the, the Michigan state strategy to attack what, admittedly is a very good Syracuse zone. I, I know sometimes people um, with the losses, they like to always just look, you know, inside, you know, what did we do wrong? But, you know, Syracuse did some things right. They are a good defensive team. They're fifth nationally on Ken Palm. So this isn't some garbage defense uh, they're playing against here. But I, I really, I was not a huge fan of the strategy on how they, how they tried to attack it um, and relying so much on the three ball for a team that, um, you know, Michigan State season stats, three-point shooting, they're 13th nationally, 40%. But I don't know. I, I've just – I've never gotten the impression they're, they're the team that will just light people up from long range. I don't know if that's flawed on my part. I've just – I've never gotten that from when they face some of the better defenses this year. I, so I, I thought there was a lot of settling. And with, with some of those forwards and guards, I thought they might be able to attack in the lane a little more than they did. Um, but, uh, but, yeah, I mean, it's a disappointing – game into what ultimately you know I I know they won the Big Ten regular season title but I think it's hard not to be disappointed in what Michigan State got out of arguably its most talented roster um, since it won a national Mm -hmm. title in 2000 and um, I I don't know if there's a singular person to blame Um, you know Izzo's obviously going to get most of it but um, you know coming into the season you know, there was a lot, a lot in that front court, and I know the roster was a little unbalanced, but 
I, I don't know how you didn't look at this team and think, you know, this is a national championship contender. I mean, you get Miles Bridges, which, um, you know, frankly, they, they had no business keeping him for a second year. I mean, that dude could have went to the lottery last summer. Uh, they get Jaron Jackson, and they get a lot of depth around those two. Um, and, you know, as much as we can talk about recruiting rankings and how good they are, I mean, guys like Langford, Ward, and Winston, those were all big-time recruits. Uh, who came in. I mean, Langford was a five-star. I, I know people tend to forget that, but he was. And maybe he was a little overrated, but, you know, at the end of the day, that, those kind of American things, too. Yeah, I mean, th- those kind of things matter. And um, to only get to the round of 32 the last two seasons um, with a lot of these pieces, I, I think is very disappointing. Um, you know, Michigan State, they're always going to be good under Izzo. I expect them to be good next year. Um, maybe not this good, but yeah, I mean, it, I, I don't know how you, you can look at this and, and not be disappointed, especially, uh, I mean, I, I don't want to overrate what the location of a tournament game means, but I mean, they basically got home court for the first two games and to not make it out of that, I, I think is very uh, disappointing. Um, and I don't, I don't know if there's, there's much more to be added there. I mean, uh, they had got some guys coming back next year, but um, there are going to be a lot of a lot of Spartans. Uh, yeah, go ahead. Yeah. <laughs> and 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 speaking speaking about the uh, about people that are coming back next year, the the one positive I can take from from this weekend as a whole, and even really the last couple weeks of the season, it was the play of Xavier Tillman. Uh, he was a monster today on the boards. Syracuse could not keep him off the glass. Uh, finished with nine offensive rebounds in the game. So I think he could be a a big big uh, cinder block. Uh, for, for Tom Izzo and Michigan State going forward and could be a great talent. Yeah, and I mean, I, I think to a certain extent you do have to wonder, you know, maybe Izzo will get a little more consistency and a little better play out of some of these, you know, quote-unquote career players than, you know, maybe some of these one-and-done, two-and-done guys. Um, we'll see. I'm, I'm a, a little skeptical of that analysis, but, um, you know, I guess that's, you know, if you're trying to look at it optimistically, you know, maybe that's a, a way to look at it. Um, so, yeah, those are those are the two teams that go down. I expect both of those to be solid teams next year, but um, disappointing finishes. Uh, but let's, let's jump to the other two teams who did make it through the opening weekend. Um, let's start with Purdue, uh, the Boilermakers, who opened up play on Friday against um, Cal State Fullerton. Uh, in Detroit as well, they absolutely put it to <laughs> uh, Cal State, absolutely destroyed them. However, they got the disappointing news that late in that game, uh, Isaac Haas gets injured, he hurts his elbow, um, and he ends up uh, going down for what appears to be the season. I know there's some weird rumors going around, um, but it looks like he's going to be out for the season at this point. Um, nonetheless, they obviously got to play you know, without Haas. They get Butler on Sunday, a team who they blew out earlier this season. Um, the game on Sunday is far more competitive, but Purdue ends up pulling it out um, at the end of the game despite a late run uh, by the Bulldogs. And Matt Harms played relatively well um, in his, I wouldn't call it relief, but you know, extra minutes as a result of Haas's injury. Um, what would you make of the Boilermakers this weekend? Uh, well, for the fact that, that Isaac Haas, they lost Isaac Haas and they got still got out of the weekend unscathed is, is 
a plus, first of all. And yeah. especially today with without Isaac Haas and just watching how they restructured their offense is not having Isaac Haas in the lineup allowed players, Carson Edwards, Vincent Edwards, Dakota Mathias, more more looks and who have more have more shots and more opportunities to score. Because what I noticed during the regular season and even the game against Cal State Fullerton is that Purdue's offense can sometimes get a bit stagnant where they just throw the ball down to Haas and, and watch and, and just hope he scores. And in what I found out looking at his stats is in six times he took more than ten shots, Purdue lost three of those games. So more volume for Haas was not always the greatest thing. And having that yeah. volume transferred to players like Matthias, Vincent Edwards, and Carson Edwards, uh, they seem to to excel. And even P.J. Thompson, he scored 14 points today. So it seemed like going more small helped them. Yeah, I, I think it's an interesting thing. We actually had one of our writers post an article about how he thought um, Haas, the injury, wasn't really as big as people made it out to be. Um, we got a little, a little heat for that. Um, well, I'll, I'll say it this way. Purdue is not a better team without Isaac Haas. That, that's my opinion. People may disagree with that, but there's a reason he's starting. There's a reason he's playing a lot of minutes. I don't think Matt Painter's intentionally trying to hurt his team. Um, however, that doesn't mean they're, you know, they're a terrible team now without him or anything like that. I think Harms is a quality player. He brings different skills to the floor. I think he's, frankly, a better defender than Haas is. Um, I don't think he's nearly the same offensive threat which I, I think showed on Sunday and has shown over the course of the season. But defensively, he moves a lot better. He has a lot better foot speed uh, than Haas. So in some ways, I, I think that's an advantage. Um, as far as uh, this weekend specifically, I mean, obviously Cal State, you know, they're a 15 seed facing Purdue, the two seed. You don't expect that game to be close. It isn't. They absolutely demolished Cal State. Um, Butler, they had to gut it out a little bit, which I think you would expect, you know, when they lose Haas, they're a weaker team on paper. Um, but, uh, you know, sweet 16 again, second straight year they get here. And now they're, they're staring down what looks like a pretty challenging matchup, uh, against, excuse me, Texas tech on Friday. I think it's going to be a very tight game. Um, and the big thing is, is, you know, early look, um, on what I'm expecting, obviously BT powerhouse will have a lot more in-depth analysis on what to expect, um, out of this game in particular. Uh, but I think it's really going to come down to how does harms do in terms of fouling first off, because that's been hit one of his biggest issues all year. He fouls way too much and he did a great job on Sunday of not fouling. And I think that put Purdue in a really good position because they could play him extended minutes. Um, Texas Tech gets a lot of its points from the free throw line, um, a lot. And the thing is, is if they don't get to the line, I think Purdue's offense ultimately is going to outscore uh, Texas Tech. But, you know, if Harm starts fouling against a team that, frankly, draws a lot of fouls, um, you know, Keenan Evans gets a lot um, for the Red Raiders, uh, as well as uh, Smith, um, another guy out on the wing. So I, I think they're a team that can really drive it inside. Purdue has shown some vulnerability to that. And I think it's honestly, you know, this, this shouldn't be surprised considering, you know, how the roster looks now, but I think it's harms. If harms can stay out of foul trouble, not get, give up easy opportunities for the Red Raiders to get to the line. Um, I think Purdue has a good shot of coming out of this game. Um, 
Now, of course, that's that's first look. You know, maybe the analysis will change going forward. But, um, you know, Purdue's going to have to work. Ken Palm has this as a three-point spread. Um, and obviously, a lot of those numbers are with Haas calculated in. You know, Ken Palm doesn't necessarily adjust for an injury. So that game looks very even on paper. Um, Justin, you have any thoughts on, on how that game could look next week? Uh, yeah, I think you pretty much uh, said it. That I, I still think that Texas Tech is going to gonna come out with the win. Keenan Evans mm-hmm. has played really well through their first two games. But uh, that's going to be a good game. Absolutely, yeah. I think it'll be close. I think it'll be down to the last couple of minutes. And, you know, this is one thing I, I always like to throw out here as we get to the Sweet 16 type of the season. Uh, you know, you hear some people saying, oh, we have an easy draw in the Sweet 16, or, you know, this team's got a tough draw. Look, if you make it to the second weekend, you're a good team, um, and you're going to be tough to beat for anyone. Um, so I, I just – some of those where, you know, this is how the game projects or doesn't project, all of them I expect to be close. You know, once in a while you, you get a blowout victory, um, but I, they're all going to look tough on paper. Uh, so that, that's Purdue. Um, one, other, one last thing I wanted to talk about uh, for Purdue here um, is how do you see this team as, as far as, you know, having a shot at making the Final Four? You know, obviously they, they get Texas Tech here. Um, excuse me. They, they get Texas Tech here uh, on Friday. If they win, it looks like they're probably going to get Villanova. We don't know who Villanova is playing yet, um, but certainly the Wildcats are going to be favored in their Sweet 16 game. Um, Any thoughts on a potential Villanova-Purdue matchup or, I guess, maybe West Virginia or Marshall, depending on how that game goes? The the way that, that I saw Villanova play Alabama, which is a pretty, pretty athletic team with Colin Sexton and uh, Ingram and Petty there, the way that uh, Michael Bridges was shooting the ball, the way Jalen Brunson was playing, you have uh, Pascal, you have uh, Spellman. I just that team is. I don't think someone's going to beat them this year. That just too many offensive weapons and defensively they're pretty strong as well. I as as good as Purdue, even with Haas, as good as Purdue was with Haas, I I just couldn't see them beating a team like Villanova. Yeah, I I think it would take a real off day for Villanova and a real off mm-hmm. day for Purdue, especially without Haas. Um, I just, I, I don't see it. I, I really think Purdue's realistically their best case scenario now is, um, you know, hope vanilla, vanilla, uh, hope Villanova has a bad day <laughs> and, um, you know, maybe you can luck into something, but otherwise, you know, it's probably going to be, uh, an elite eight at best at this point, but you know, it's March, anything can happen. So, uh, but yeah, I, I like Purdue's chances early on. Um, but we'll see what, uh, what happens there, um, against Texas tech. So the other team, um, I would say I'm, I'm saving the most dramatic for last, uh, Michigan, who opens up with Montana on Thursday night in a game that seemed to last five hours. Um, didn't actually last that long, but seemed like it, thanks to a clock delay and the fact it started at like 1030 uh, Eastern time, uh, for me at least. Uh, they end up beating Montana thanks to a just outstanding defensive performance. Um, they move on. They get... Houston on Saturday night, another late game, went a little faster. Um, in a lot of ways, it was an ugly game, um, but it really was just a defensive battle uh, between the two teams all night. Um, you know, Gray has a, a real nice performance. It wasn't necessarily the most efficient, but, you know, he did he did put up some nice points. Um, but Michigan pulls it out by the skin of their teeth thanks to two missed free throws, 
um, by Houston and a crazy three-pointer by Jordan Poole at the buzzer. And Michigan ends up scoring a 64-63 win to advance to the Sweet 16. Um, And I just want to throw this out there that Michigan with like three seconds left has a 3.4% chance of winning uh, per Ken Palm. So just an improbable victory for the Wolverines. Uh, What did you make of uh, Michigan on the opening weekend? Uh, I'm going to be honest with you. I I was pretty disappointed with, with what I saw in New York and the final couple weeks of the regular season. I expected them even with the layoff to come out with a little, little more firepower, especially from, uh, Mo Wagner and Muhammad Ali Abdul Rahman, they've been pretty, uh, pretty hard to watch a little bit the last two games, especially yesterday for uh, Muhammad Ali Abdul Rahman. Airballed a couple three pointers and just did not look right offensively. Uh, Wagner struggled in the first half, got it going a bit in the second half, and uh, so a little bit disappointed from the, from an offensive standpoint uh, for the Wolverines. Defensively, it looks like they're just staying the course, you know, locking down best play the other opposition's best player keeping them limited at least and uh i just have a question for for you i know you're a michigan guy i haven't watched too much <laughs> michigan basketball but with that fi- that final play uh i believe is that the same play they ran when they hit the game winner or won the game against maryland with, uh, with it Rockman? is <laughs> yep uh great yeah. pass by livers livers is their uh their inbounding guy um, former baseball player. Uh, so he, he's kind of the guy making the passes um, for the Wolverines. You know, you wonder if uh, Jim Harbaugh might be giving him a look, given some of the team's quarterback troubles uh, recently. But, uh, but yeah, um, the original play is they throw it into Marr, and he's going to attack towards the hoop. But if he's double teamed as he was, he passes off to someone else who happened to be Poole. Um, just an incredible play for those who – haven't seen it, which would surprise me if you're a college basketball fan. Um, definitely check it out. It, it's a pretty uh, wild play and, and really what March is all about. Um, but as, as far as uh, how Michigan played the opening weekend, um, didn't necessarily think they were all that sharp. Um, you know, certainly offensively, you know, you mentioned Marr, who's normally a lights out shooter, missing really good looks uh, much of the night. You know, I, they also, they missed a layup couple just give me layups during the game as well um but part of that again and this is sort of similar to uh you know what we were talking about with Syracuse uh you know Houston really good team um really good team and I I think uh you know over the last month of the season um you know T-Rank has this uh uh cutoff so you can cut it off at certain dates and you know look at how teams have played over a set course of games so on and so forth Houston was fifth nationally um, over the final month of the season uh, in just team efficiency. So the Cougars were playing really, really good basketball, really good defense. Um, and I, I thought, to me, that was a very tough matchup for Michigan in the first weekend, certainly as a three seed. But, you know, they find a way to, to win that game. I'm not, I can't sit here and act like I thought Michigan deserved to win that game. Um, <laughs> but, uh, you know, they, they pull it out um, and they move on. Um, you know, this weekend, UNC gets absolutely stomped by Texas A&M earlier today, which certainly, certainly surprised me. And um, so Texas A&M will be advancing to play the Wolverines in the Sweet 16. Um, Justin, any thoughts on Texas A&M and how Michigan could match up against them? 
I, I don't know. To be honest, I don't know too much about Texas a and I've got to look more into it before I can make that decision. Just for off firsthand, <laughs> I think I have Michigan in my Final Four. I still think they're a Final Four team. Um, I know Texas A&M, they started off hot and then really fell off once they entered SC play. I think they started 0-6 or 0-7, then got it going again towards the end and got themselves into the tournament. For them to get hot right now and, and beat UNC the way that they did, uh, they'll provide a, a tough challenge for, Mich- for Michigan. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I think it's going to be a, a, a tough game, you know, on paper. Um, you know, I, I've seen some people say, you know, Michigan fans are happy they're going to avoid UNC. But uh, Texas A&M is pretty tough on paper. I, I agree with that. You know, I, I think Texas A&M is a – they're a good team. You know, they had some uh, some personnel issues over the course of the season that probably ended up costing them uh, on the seeding line. But I, I do think uh, UNC is a better team on paper. I, I, I don't know how you can look at their profiles and think A&M is a better team. Additionally – I, I think UNC is a tougher matchup for Michigan than A&M. You know, I think A&M plays a more traditional style, you know, two bigs. Uh, they try to hit the board, play quality defense. Mm-hmm. Um, and Michigan a lot of times gives those teams problems because the way their bigs can move around the court. Um, you know, Texas A&M, uh, they're also not a great three-point shooting team, which I don't think bodes well for them matching up against Michigan's defense. Um, but, you know, we'll see. They did just blow out UNC, so it, it's hard to sit here and act like they aren't going to be tough for Michigan. But um, I, you know, I'll put it this way: uh, Ken Palm has Michigan favored by three, so I, you know, Michigan's going to go in as the favorite next weekend, and you know, maybe they can get some of the inverse of what happened to them this week, where uh, you know, Michigan is playing red hot in the Big Ten tournament, and then they get some time off, uh, they cool down, don't play quite as sharp uh, in Wichita, you know maybe this will be the inverse a little bit where, you know, Michigan gets some time off. They get a little bit hotter after playing uh, a little bit poorly and A&M will cool down a little bit. We'll see. Um, But I I think Michigan certainly, you know, they're going to be in favored. So, or excuse me, they're going to be favored. So you you have to think they have a shot uh, to get to the elite eight. Um, Now the elite eight, it it looks interesting, that potential matchup. Uh, We don't know who's going to play Gonzaga at this point but probably Xavier or, well, it'll be Xavier or Florida State. Um, any thoughts on a potential Elite Eight matchup and how it could look uh, to advance to the Final Four for Michigan? Uh, I, I still uh, have Gonzaga and Michigan going into my uh, Elite Eight. The way Hachimura and uh, Tilly were playing for Gonzaga uh, in their first two games really impressed me, and I see I can't see them falling off that quickly. And those games are going to be in Los Angeles, so Xavier's going to be making the trip from Ohio all the way to the West Coast, well, Gonzaga fans will be making the, the short trip. So uh, that's just another home atmosphere that they will have uh, at the Staples Center. Yeah, it, it's going to be uh, it's going to be interesting. Uh, the one thing for me, you know, as far as, uh, you know, how, how's, how are the home courts going to go or, or so on and so forth, um, this West region, uh, and I'm using air quotes right now, um, nobody is really from the Los Angeles area at all. I mean, Gonzaga is in Washington, um, but it's going to be Michigan, uh, Gonzaga, and then either Xavier or Florida state who are not close at all either. So this is going to, it'll be interesting to see how the crowd looks. Uh, you know, obviously LA is a huge city, so I'm sure everybody has some alums there, but I have no idea how, how that's going to work out at all. 
Um, so it will be a neutral court <laughs> in my opinion here. Um, but yeah, so I think both, both teams have a solid shot and I'm referring to the big 10 here. Both big 10 teams have a solid shot of making it to the elite eight. Um, I think on paper, Purdue certainly has the more challenging route to the final four uh, over Michigan, especially when you add in, you know, the Isaac Haas injury there. Um, it's going to be interesting. Uh, one, one last thing I wanted to hit on here before maybe we talk about some other topics, uh, the mm-hmm. South and Midwest regions, um, or excuse me. Uh, yeah. Well, just anything else about the NCAA tournament stick out to you over the weekend. You know, we hit on the big 10 teams, but uh, anything else to you that was, interesting or, or worthy of discussion? Uh, I got to give my uh, props out to Loyola Chicago, them not being in the tournament since the 80s, I believe it was, and then being the Sweet 16, both both wins coming on, on last-second shots. That, that was pretty impressive. And uh, even with UMBC getting the, the big win over Virginia, Loyola Chicago seems to be America's sweetheart in this, uh, in this tournament. <laughs> Absolutely. I I will just state for the record that I think this has been the most wild tournament ever. And I know that is a very bold statement. We've had some absolutely wild tournaments before, but I think you just got to start off with, I mean, the number one overall seed going down to a 16 seed. I mean, it's never happened before. We all know the history about it, but to see it happen, I, I thought was just mind boggling. Um, it, it was a and not historic even just moment. going down. It was a pure domination. Yeah, yeah. I mean, they they lost by twenty. Um, it, it was incredible. Um, I I don't know if if we can really sit here and describe how that's going to hold up over time because I I think it's one of those upsets where it's going to be discussed for decades. It's always going to be the first the first number one seed to go down, and and certainly based on history, this is something we could not see. You know, it might be another thirty years before we see this again, and. No, I'm not trying to be hyperbolic here, but it's it's true. I mean, we've never seen it before. Uh, this was the 136th game between a one and a 16 seed in a men's tournament, and it's the first time a one has lost. So it's just it's absolutely insane. Um, I, I think that is easily the biggest storyline of this whole tournament. But then, I mean, you add in um, North Carolina got blown out, so they're out already. Um, you add in Cincinnati just went down a couple minutes ago uh, to Nevada. Uh, so they're not going through Arizona goes down to Butler. I mean, the South uh, region, the highest seeded team remaining is Kentucky, who was a five seed. I mean, Kentucky is now the odds on favorite to make it out of there, which is crazy. Um, just, just absolutely crazy. Um, Auburn's getting blown out as a four seed. Michigan state went down as a three seed over the weekend. Um, just been madness everywhere. Um, and, you know, I, I can't wait for next weekend. But to me, this tournament has been just bonkers. And it certainly doesn't show any signs of, of slowing down at this point. Um, but, uh, but yeah, so with that, um, I did want to hit on briefly uh, the NIT. Um, Nebraska opens up. They lose to uh, Mississippi State on the road. Um, they're knocked out of the NIT in the first round as a five seed. Penn State, um, they actually end up winning their first two games and advancing um, to the third round where they will face Marquette on the road. They beat Temple on Wednesday, and then they beat Notre Dame on the road yesterday on St. Patrick's Day of all days. Um, Did you have any thoughts on the NIT or uh, what to make of the Nittany Lions at this point? Uh, 
not much other than uh, Pat Chambers is that pretty making a, the best out of a situation they thought they were not going to be in at at tournament time. They thought they had a good case for the NCAA tournament. For them to make a run in the NIT shows that they still care, I guess. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I think that's a positive sign. And for a team that certainly looks like it's going to trend upward next season, I think – going and, and winning some of these games and having a shot at Madison square garden is good news. Uh, but overall, I mean, tough, tough break um, for, uh, for Nebraska, you know, it's a team, a lot of Husker fans thought got shortchanged by the committees. I disagree, but um, you know, disappointing for that to see them go out the way they did. And then for Penn state, um, you know, we'll see what happens against Marquette. They're a slight underdog, but they could certainly pull that one out. Um, Justin, uh, any any final thoughts here on the Big Ten? Um, what to look forward to next weekend before we let you go? Uh, I'll just go back. I'll make a quick comment about Michigan State and just leave leave with a question. <laughs> that Tom, Tom Izzo has had two of his best shots to get that coveted second title in the last three years and hasn't gotten out of the first weekend. So heading into next year and really the rest of his career, I think the question now needs to be posed. Will he ever get that second title? Because he's had two great chances in the past three years and could not get even close with, with great talent. So that's got to be, I guess, the question looming over his, his Hall of Fame resume. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, I think it'll be interesting. I think that's the, certainly the one thing when you look at, you know, how is he compared with, with sort of the, the elites of college basketball head coaching um, is, you know, he doesn't have that second title. And I, I think that's something that sort of separates uh, just the good era coaches from just the, uh, the Mount Rushmore of, of coaches, I'll, I'll say. Um, as far as uh, my, my thoughts on it, you know, it's obviously something we cannot answer because we have no idea what any of these teams are going to look like in, you know, two years, let alone uh, 10. I mean, I don't – no one has any idea how much longer Izzo's going to coach uh, in East Lansing, but – the only thing I would say is, you know, I remember a lot of similar comments in, uh, what was it, 2014, uh, you know, when they had uh, Payne and uh, Appling and those guys. You know, a lot of people viewed that as a, a year where Michigan State had a real shot at winning it all. Um, they fell short in the Elite Eight and really, really just never lived up to the hype uh, for much of that season. And, hey, fast forward, you know, four years later, and we're hearing a lot of the same comments. So uh, that's good. Uh, but it's also bad because, you know, as you, of course, uh, they didn't really live up to the hype in either of those seasons. But we'll see. Um, disappointing weekends for the Spartans and Buckeyes, but uh, the Wolverines and Boilermakers push on. Um, Justin, thanks for joining us. And uh, where can people check out your stuff? Uh, I can be followed on Twitter uh, at JBF3498 and uh, – and- I, most of my stories get posted there, BT Powerhouse as well. Awesome. Thanks for joining us, man. All righty. Thank you. Um, so, again, that was uh, Justin. He writes for our site. Uh, does a lot of Michigan State stuff for us. So, if you are a Spartan fan, definitely worth a follow and someone to check out. Um, but with that, we're going to call it a day for this one. We're definitely going to have another podcast this week, really breaking down the Michigan-Texas A&M game and the Purdue Uh, Texas Tech game, uh, along with some more bracket talk. (laughs) But uh, with that, my name is Thomas Bendit. I'm the host of the podcast. As always, you can follow me on Twitter 
at T Bandit. And otherwise, we'll see you guys next time.